Welcome to the Western Vowel Podcast Series, with talks on traditional spiritual teaching and its application in the world today. The intention of this series is to offer something useful for those who are drawn to study themselves and engage practice on the spiritual path. New talks are posted twice each month. The content of the talks is for informational purposes only and not to provide any kind of counseling, medical, or professional advice. This podcast is titled, Faith, How Necessary Is It on the Spiritual Path? The talk was given by Carl Crummins on May 29, 2021, via Zoom. Carl has been a spiritual practitioner for 40 years. He lived in India for seven years and has a passion for considering the essential similarities of spiritual traditions. In this talk, he reflects on his experiences on the spiritual path, including some that he had with the teacher, Lee Loswick. If there is benefit in the talk for you, please consider sharing the link to it, or writing a review on social media or on one of the podcast platforms. Carl Crummins. A lot has been said about the importance of faith in many traditions, but what is it that what is the difference between faith and belief? Can we know that faith is not imagination? This talk will dig down, consider where the faith come where faith comes from. In the end, it may be um, the connection to mystery of who we are beyond definition. So tonight we're going to dig down and find our faith in faith. And I think the best way to do anything like this is for me to assume that um, I don't have any. Because when you think you know what something is, you've already got something in, in, in the space. But when you go, well, I don't know what it is, let's, uh, as I said, dig down and, and see what we can find. It seems like everybody in spiritual traditions has commented on faith has weighed in on it. Perhaps the most famous one is from Matthew 17.20. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here and it will move. That's a big statement, really. Anybody believe that? And Mark said, well, these are translations. Who knows what these people actually said. All things are possible for him that believes. So here we've got something going on, the word belief and faith. Digging into this, I found that it's like a spectrum disorder of language that faith and belief um, are used interchangeably, like I just used it with Matthew and Mark. They're pointing at the same thing, but using different words. So again, words are this fluid thing, and the meaning of a word depends upon the person delivering it and their intention at the moment. So, with that in mind, here's another quote. The mind cannot have faith. The mind can only have belief. And belief is totally subjective. So what's being said here? It's being said that faith is something objective, different than subjective, something real, something that doesn't come and go. And I'm going to read a few more quotes. There's some great quotes that I came out to. I just went, wow, these are, I just like hearing these. Faith is a knowledge within the heart beyond the reach of proof. I don't have a source for that one. It might have been Cahil Gibran. Faith is an oasis in the heart which can never be reached by the caravan of thinking. Is this true? Well, here's another one that kind of agrees. Intelligence must follow faith, never precede it, and never destroy it. Thomas Kempis, some medieval character. Irrevocable commitment to any one religion is not only intellectual suicide, it is positively unfair because it closes the mind to any new vision of the world. Faith is, above all, openness, an act of trust in the universe. So that's kind of saying that you can assert it. Here's another idea in this. I found in thinking about this three kinds of faith. There's faith as in being faithful, like you have a faithful dog or a faithful husband, similar things. My humor is kind of dry. 
faith as a faithful person. Then there's faith in something, faith about something. And then there's faith as a state of being. So here we have three different ways of having faith that I discovered in exploring this. This is, this is one of my favorite quotes. I don't know that it really has to do with faith. The heart has its reasons that reason knows not. I love that because sometimes I found myself, my heart and my mind going in different directions and wondering what's going on. Faith is different from proof. The latter is human. The former is a gift of God. So this person, Blaise Pascal, is saying that you can't really earn faith, which I disagree with, but you can't really earn faith. It's a gift that's given somehow by the divine. I don't like that. What do you think? This takes it out of my hands and says, you know, I got to muck around I mean, we have to muck around anyway, but I got to muck around and hope that my mucking around eventually attracts God's attention. He gives me faith. Faith in what? We're going to get to that. Faith embraces many truths which seem to contradict each other. I like that because that's kind of irrational. Paradox. I was just reading something. And today that said, on the spiritual path, the question is, is how much ambiguity can you tolerate? That's really a truth there for me. Can you, can you remain forever uncertain, indefinitely uncertain? Where do you draw the line between the value of uncertainty and when you have to say, you know, I, I need something to stand on to move forward? And maybe these things aren't either or. I think one of the things that I've been addressing in critical thinking is noticing when we create in language either or polarities. This is, this is either true or not true. Just noticing that. Because my experience is that life isn't either or, it's both plus. Somebody says that faith has to be, you have to use a process of reasoning to come to it. So that's kind of a contradiction to many of the other individuals that say that faith is something that's, that befalls us, is bestowed upon us. And I said that we have three kinds of faith. So I'm going to explore some of the faith in or faith about ideas. What do you have faith in? I'm going to go through a list. Do you have faith in the vaccines? I see one hand, two hands, three hands. I got the vaccine, but it wasn't a function of believing in it. It was a function of just not resisting the flow. I'd already had COVID, so I really wasn't concerned. What about faith in our government? This is a gradient here. We got to start somewhere. Yeah. Here's where language is tricky. Uh, Are you talking about faith or belief? Because good, I don't think faith has anything to do with faith in. So as soon as you put an in, you're in the domain of belief, in my opinion. Okay, listen to this phrase. Do you have belief in vaccines? That doesn't sound right. It may be linguistically right, but it doesn't sound right. I'm glad you brought it up because there is this thing around language going up. Do you believe in our government? You don't need to believe in the government. The government is. But the question is, do you have faith in the government is different than than do you believe in the government? We have a government. You, You may not like the government. You may have all kinds of opinions about it. But faith implies a different thing than than you believe in the government. So I'm not going to resolve it. I'm just showing the, the trickiness of language. On a YouTube video, there was a topic of samadhi, right? And they were saying that faith was the unknown. And once you believe in that unknown, it does not become the unknown anymore. It becomes a belief system. So after I saw that video, I looked up faith and Wikipedia said that faith was a belief system. Yes. I know. So the general public, when they think of faith, they don't think of it as an unknown, think it's a belief, think of faith as a belief system. 
You know, I did some investigating of this, and they're used interchangeably. But the word faith implies faith in something spiritual, divine, God, and belief is more towards, you know, do you believe that science is going to... They were kind of interchangeable, the words. Again, I said it in the beginning. But faith is... We're going to try and tease out the difference here that quite a few people are saying, you know, hey, faith is not belief. But in terms of language in the UCL, I looked looked in various dictionaries and the words were interchangeable. You know, English is <coughs> etymologically <laughs> deficient. So you'll never find a uh, useful distinction between those two words Yeah. in that language. The other comment that came to me is that the reason why it's true about reason leading to faith is that if you follow reason far enough, you'll get exhausted. It'll be a matter of going tilt. And when you go tilt, the machine goes tilt, then faith emerges. Um, okay, to continue with the list. Okay, what about faith in practice? There's a variety of people here and people who I don't know, but that practice, that sitting in the morning, if you do that, that whatever constitute practice for you, for me, it's everything. But however you define it, that you have faith in that. I guess you wouldn't be doing it after a certain period of time if you didn't have faith in it. In a school that I came from, some of the practices were clearly delineated. Exercise, meditation, diet, study, relationship, these were all like the, the big categories. Practice in itself, probably, I don't have faith in it, but I think um, practice can emerge out of having faith. You know, faith is personal, so it's, so then if you have faith, then, or if, if you find faith, I guess, so then out of that, a, pract- a personal practice can emerge. Okay. Thank you. Let me see if I can find the quote on faith and trust. Yes, it was Alan Watts. Irrevocable commitment to any one religion is not only intellectual suicide, it is positive unfaith because it closes the mind to any new vision of the world. Faith is, above all, openness, an act of trust in the unknown. So there's another word that um, is almost synonymous with faith, trust. Though these words are there because there are differences. There are shades of differences. We're kind of teasing out what these differences might be. Let me continue with with my little list of uh, things to have faith in. What about faith in in our guides? You know what I mean by guides? our teachers, the people who are before us on the path that we have some trust in, based on what? That they are able to guide us in this. I mean, to me, the question is, is in this what? Why why is anybody here? Why are you listening to this instead of watching something on Netflix? Why are we on this path? Why are we seeking? What is it we're seeking? Nobody would be here if they weren't aspiring to evolve. That's a nice way to put it. Aspiring to evolve into greater human potential, greater potential of of their own possibility. And in this, somewhere along the way, I discovered that I didn't know what I was doing and, and doing some some getting some strange results, and that I needed to find someone who knew more than me. And I, I use this term guide because it's, I hope that it's less triggering. You know what I mean. You know, you say the word guru and people go, go, guru. Oh, no. Or, or, you know, you use the word teacher. Well, that could be, you know, your grade school teacher. You know, there's a difference. Guru generally means you're, you know, somebody who's who you trust to 
guide you in your quest for deeper understanding of the truths of life. Master, I hate that word. Nobody's going to be, you know, I'm master of my dog if I had one. Anyway, yeah, well, there's another term. I like guides. It's one of the more neutral things. Teachers is pretty good. So what about faith? Do you have faith in, I don't know, I don't know all of you, so I don't know which which people are um, subscribing to a guide and which people out there have gone, no, I can I can do this on my own. I can study. I can read the literature, the wisdom traditions. I can sit and practice. What I need will come to me. I have faith that I don't need a teacher, a guide, a guru, that I can do this on my own. Now, now isn't that a kind of faith? What is that kind? What is the faith that I don't need a guide and can do this on my own? Anybody that, any, does that shoe fit anybody out there? Thank you. So yeah, faith in the guides. So has anybody been disappointed? You know, the thing is, is faith is different than trust. I think you start, you start out kind of like trusting the guide. And the guide could be just somebody who's been, you know, another student who's been in the school longer than you have. You know, all you need is somebody who, has, who knows the next thing that you need to know. On a practical level, you just need somebody who has the next useful piece of information that you need for your process. That could be a therapist. And in fact, in the West, that's a good idea to get therapy before or during your uh, spiritual tenure with uh, a school or teaching. Or It helps. We come to this from all different forms of life conditioning that we approach this from. And some of it is more complex and is better served perhaps by a therapist than it is by a, a teacher or, or a guru or a master. So has anybody out there felt that they've been disappointed in their trust, in their guide? Maybe some of you don't have, you know, I've never been with anybody. That's why I'm listening to you. For myself, I, uh, I've never met a teacher, a guru. You know, I know people who have a lot of time on a spiritual path and have a lot of knowledge and wisdom, but they're a man too, so they're susceptible to fault. And uh, what makes it disappointing is when I put an expectation on what I think that person is supposed to be. And so really, I'm only setting myself up to get let down. So a lot of it has to do with acceptance. You know, I never met anybody of a, of a, I would say, a high level of being. So that's where I'm at with gurus, teachers, spiritual advisors. What I've seen, I see everybody has a fault. And maybe my expectations of what a guru or a spiritual teacher would be, somebody that if they had fault, it would be very subtle. And you couldn't see it, but it's there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a good point. So in, in your case, you haven't been in the position, like some teachers request a great deal of you. You're going to need a profound degree of trust to do what's requested some, by some teachers. Other teachers are, um, let's take it a step at a time, and they're all over the map. The problem with teachers is that we look at them and we go, in the beginning, at least, there's no beginners here, but in the beginning, at least, you project that they are flawless, that they are divine and don't make mistakes, they're always right. But well, my experience, and not only mine, is that they are working through a conditioned human vehicle. They have maybe access and skills, but that those are going through the filter of the human vehicle as long as they're in a vehicle. It's a kind of difficult thing. I remember Lee saying, hang around here, check it out. Test me. Test the situation and see if it, if it holds water. And you got to at some point say, yes, I'm in or I'm not. Because if you're always testing, you're never committed in a way. I know about that. I've gotten off the topic 
maybe a little bit, but I think it's an important, an important idea in this. I have been one who has not had faith in one of my guides, at least at certain times. I've really doubted. So I know that that's a um, possibility. And I think you lose a lot when that's the case. Because you're not trusting and you're not, if you're not trusting, you're not committed. You're going to be second-guessing instructions. Not useful. This is a tough one trying to decide between belief and faith. If I take a, a scientific principle, let's just say like Newton's laws, I can be told what they are. And I guess I believe them because they've been accepted by so many people out there. But then when I go out there and experience the results of these laws, then I'm more committed. You just mentioned the word committed. Then I'm more committed and I have more faith in that to happen. Then we have another kind of truth, which is a truth of some kind of growth experience that helps my being to grow. And one day I experienced this particular truth. And because of that experience, it's more than just belief now. I'm supporting it all the way. Mm-hmm. To me, faith has a stronger commitment. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it. it. reminded me of something. Once you test something and you get a result, then you know. Well, knowing is knowing. It's different. Faith is about a domain that you can't know. That's why there's faith. It's a domain that doesn't belong to the known. But lining up knowns along the way in your process of testing things, the teacher says, you know, do this, do that. And there's results to it. And if you're honest with yourself, the results are adding up to something that may add up in the end to, to something like faith, to something that stands on its own that no longer needs the validation and the question and validation, but it went through um, the question and validation process. Like I gave a, a mini version of this talk before and I thought about it. And a distinction that I made was the difference between bought faith and earned faith. I think that's really important. In certain aspects of Buddhism, they kind of a down about the word faith, because it means taking somebody else's word for something. And they want you to do it, sit and meditate, do, do the practices, do the recommended things all the way, and you will have experiences. And um, these experiences will come and go. <laughs> so where are you left with that? That's the thing with experience. They come and they go. And when they're gone... What do you have? Who are you? And at that point, when, there, when you've had the experience and it's gone, are you a man of faith? Or is the experience gone and you're back into, well, I'm not sure. Oh, what is this? That's an, that's an important thing. But something else I wanted to, to point out, we have faith in, in enormous numbers of things that we don't know anything about. My favorite example, and I'm not the only one who used it, is the world is round. That's a belief that you have faith in. How many people have done the experiment, the the process of testing to see there are things that can be done, looked into it to verify for yourself that the world is round? I mean, I questioned this and I went, if you haven't tested something then it's kind of like a, a belief or thing that you have faith in. We have a faith in enormous numbers of things. Science tells us things. We're told all, all sorts of things that you can't go test all these things. You can't go running around and test it. But then you agree, yeah, that's true. But did you really think about it? I mean, do you know that you're just going along with cultural assumptions? One that I got onto recently was the idea of marriage that you should get married to somebody, you know, one person forever, and that's the way it should be, this this thing. And I went like, people just kind of like buy into this thing, and what a disaster <laughs> that has been if you step back. I did some research and found out that it's all, 
different cultures, it's all over the map what people have come up with around enduring pair-bonded friendships. All the things that are handed to us by our parents in school. What I'm pointing at is that we're already deeply immersed in the world of beliefs and faiths that we take for granted, that we haven't stepped back from and gone, hey, is this this really true? And I think that needs I think that that needs to be a part of this process that we're in, because if you don't, it's what I call bought faith. You've paid something, you've bought it rather than earned it. Earned faith is something that you've gone through some process of going, I don't know. What is this? And explored. And you can't come to faith without first having doubt or question. Otherwise, you're going to just have bought faith. But the question of doubt, it's really difficult to stay in the field of ambiguity and doubt. And it's really valuable. It's precious. Lee used to say that my gift to you is confusion. And that was a confusing statement at the time. (laughs) My gift to you is confusion. And I, I wondered about it for years. And then I eventually got, yes, that really was his gift to us because he didn't spell it out. He didn't lay it out. He created circumstances that were all over the map, challenges. You had to work with all kinds of difficult people that you didn't get along with, but this was your sangha that you somehow had to deal with and things like that, that you go through those experiences and um, you're changed, but you're not changed directly. You know, it's like growth. When you water a plant, it it grows a little bit. And you can't see it from, well, some plants you can see it from day to day. But our evolutionary process is one of we, we evolve, we change, but we don't see it. But we change in the face of challenge, of circumstances that are unclear. Anyway, what about faith in, in God? Now, there's a, a big one. As a kid, you don't know. And at some point, you go, wait, wait a second, and then you, you start testing things. So many of us you know, become atheists and agnostics as teenagers because, you know, if you were in the church and then you see all this bad behavior all over the place and you go, aren't these people representative? Isn't God supposed to be... I mean, I remember going through that of just going, this is, you, you want to have something to be certain about. So you become certain that there is no God. You become an atheist. And eventually I think, I, I don't know, I can't remember that far back. If I, and then I went, well, I don't really know. So I'll be an agnostic. God's a tricky one because for me, God is everywhere, all the time, imminent. I don't know about the transcendent part because I, I haven't transcended anything, but imminent. Life is intelligent. I'm in relationship to it. It's in relationship to me. At any rate, that's the idea that the universe is, you know, I and thou, Martin Buber's I and thou, that's beautiful. So I guess we'll move on. How about faith in oneself? That seems to be the one that is almost taboo. The the idea of faith in yourself, I've seen, is like kind of close to egotism. Part of being a spiritual person is humble. And if you believe in yourself, you're not humble anymore. This Unconsciously, this is kind of how it is. And I've seen this, the idea of faith in yourself is kind of like edgy. That's a good word. It's an edgy thing. But how can you function without faith in yourself? I think faith um, in itself just implies that there's some sort of a constancy. If there's no constancy in in the self, then then it's difficult to have faith in it in the in the like just the direct way the way you would imagine people would. Uh, I think there is you can have faith in not necessarily the self, but in the fact that everything will kind of happen as it is going to happen according to its nature. It sounds like you're saying what I call providential faith, a faith in process, the, the, the process of life. 
that was a little different than my question, which I agree with. And and you live long enough and, and there you have it. But I was saying faith in oneself. And, and the question comes, you know, the fourth way is that there's many selves. And from one situation to another, a different self takes the helm. And so we can't say we have faith in oneself until you have a unified self or some self that is no longer subject to the changes of circumstance, to when you have integrity. The word integrity is an, a, a great word. I like it because it means integrated. When all the selves are integrated, that implies something, you know, something going on in this process to have faith in oneself. <laughs> you know, there's a saying, don't talk, don't speak about things that are above your level. <laughs> Um, so here, but here I am giving a talk, but there's a situation of when you have a sense of yourself that's solid, but there's still the not self or the apparent not self, the other. And you can say that's the world of the universe. And sometimes it's the person in front of you that is not understanding, being obstinate or whatever. And, and then that's when to me, the, the idea of faith is useful, having faith that, I'm not sure faith is the right word. This person's on their, in their process. This is where they're at. And to let that be and have faith that, 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 there's, that this is exactly what's true for them. And they need to, you know, be true to that for until they get new information. Something I once said we change when we get new information. Until we get new information, we believe in the things that we know. Stick your hand in the fire, it's going to get burned. There's a whole lot of things that you have experience with and a whole lot of things you're told that you kind of go, yeah, it's, I can't do the research on this. I'll go along with it. You know, I'm not going to question it. There's always I and thou as long as we're in this. And, and this gets tricky because I, I hear that there's people who claim to have no separate self and they're in some unit of abiding non-dual realization, I think is a technical term for this. But I don't have enough experience with them. And so I haven't tested it to see whether this is so or not. I have met some people that were so far beyond me that I just had to like throw up my hands, shrug my shoulders and go, yeah, I'm in. What's next? Anyway, this faith in oneself. That reminded me of a quote of E.J. Golds that, I, that came back to me. First, you struggle against the Dharma, the teaching. The teaching says things, you know, when you come from the world, let's say the world of scientific materialism. The teaching says some radical things that don't agree with that. That says that it's all handled, it's all good. Surrender and everything will be given on to you. Things like that. So in the beginning, you struggle with the Dharma. And then you struggle with the Sangha. Most schools, most teachers have collections of people around them. This is very important. You can only go so far sitting at home. Sitting you can go a long way. It's useful. But what I found is the purpose, the whole function of practice is to help me be in relationship. The, uh, the rubber meets the road in relationships with people. And all the practices, everything that I do, study, push-ups, whatever, it's all so that I can be in relationship. Ideally, be vulnerable, listen, pay attention, not judge, be in relationship. These are all like facets of relationship. So all the other stuff is weightlifting so you can go in the world and be with people. So you struggle with the Dharma. You struggle with the Sangha. And this is a bunch of difficult people that if they would only listen to you, they'd get it and things would work a lot better. Next, you struggle with the teacher, maybe. The, the guides that I've had have been very uh, colorful at times. Their behaviors have been 
significantly nonlinear and seemingly irrational. And the directions have been confusing or missing or lacking, throwing you into situations and not explaining, not giving you any information or directions. So you struggle with the teacher. This person, is they, you know, do they know what they're doing? I remember going through that. Every once in a while, I would go, I'm getting out of here. And then he would give a talk and he would be totally rational and reasonable. And I would calm down and hang in there. So you struggle with the, the guide, the teacher. And then you struggle with God because you realize, you know, the, the big guy behind the teacher is God. And uh, that's where the problem lies. God is just not doing his job. If we were doing his job, it wouldn't be this bad. I wouldn't be suffering this much. The world wouldn't be suffering this much. Something's wrong here. So you struggle with God with your projections. This is all your projections, all of these things. But you've got to go through them. If you don't go through them, and you just go, oh, the teacher's right, I know the teacher's right, and oh, the song, they're my brothers and sisters, and this is all good. It's not going to work out in the long run. You're going to be disappointed, going to feel betrayed. But it's because you didn't, didn't do your homework, didn't struggle with, with all these things. So you're going to struggle with God, with your projections about God, whether there is a God, when there's so much cruel, horrible cruelty in this world. I've been on a news fast for four years. I've never owned a TV. I'm on a news fast, so it does seep in. Um, but it's terrible things going on in the world. How is this? So you're struggling with God. And then finally, you struggle with yourself. There you have it. You realize where responsibility lies. Uh, so next question, can faith be cultivated? If so, how? Faith follows that which benefits everyone and everything, but belief may be inconsistent with universal good. There's somebody's idea about that. So I think we've been covering some things about how faith can be cultivated. Or do you believe it should be cultivated? I don't think it should be cultivated. I think it should be moved away from in favor of direct experience. Early in my life, faith was important. And over time, I, I, I don't really know that I need it. I would not be real uh, enthusiastic about the idea of trying to cultivate it at this point. Okay. That's a valid point of view. Maybe it needs to be cultivated or not, depending on the person and the stage and, and where they are in their process. That's kind of tricky because kind of in the beginning, to do any of this at the starting point, you have got to have something, trust, belief, faith, that it's valid, that there is the possibility of, what is it we're looking for anyway? But there is the possibility of that. Enough to launch, enough to start taking risks, to start making changes in your life, to start doing things that may seem strange to you, or maybe they don't. You know, I think like sitting meditation has such positive PR now that no, that everybody goes, yeah, this must be good. There's no question that sitting meditation is the right thing to do. Seemingly, for most people approaching the path, that's beyond question any longer. So they will do, you know, five minutes to many hours a day. Actually, the problem many hours a day is why you need a guide. Because <laughs> you can get overly and unbalancedly enthusiastic about some practices and become unbalanced. Maybe because I came from the fourth way and Gurdjieff said that man is robotic, that man is totally mechanical until he starts making efforts uh, Anyway, until he starts making some efforts, man is totally mechanical. And to me, it looks like you're born onto a, you know, you get on a train when you're born. It's going to make, it's going to go on certain tracks and makes the stops that it does. We all here are very lucky. We're the lottery winners of uh, life to be here and instead of 
in uh, Delhi now. And what I found is that the big circumstances in life seem to, they're going to come along. You know, you're born in a certain place to certain parents. It's going to have a certain impact on your view of life. You're conditioned. A lot of conditioning occurs depending on the time and place and parents that you're born into in history. Vastly different perceptions of how the world works and how life can work. In, the, in America, we have the ideal of individualism. I'm my own man. I can go do anything. And in other countries, it's the opposite of that. You're, it's very much uh, cooperative. We, you know, belonging to the group is, is paramount. Your place in the group, knowing your place in the group and finding out where you fit into the group is everything. And individualism doesn't exist. It's, you know, so it's a very different thing. But what I've come to is most of what's going to happen to me in life is coming along. There's not much I can do about it. But where I have choice is whether I respond to it or react to it. Whether what I do or don't do about it comes from my conditioning or from some other possibility. This is Buddha. Do not believe in anything simply because it is spoken and rumored by many. Do not believe in anything simply because it is found written in your religious books. Do not believe in anything merely on the authority of your teachers and elders. Do not believe in traditions because they have been handed down for many generations. Pulling out a lot of rugs there. But after observation and analysis... When you find that anything agrees with reason and is conducive to the good and benefit of one and all, then accept it and live up to it, Buddha. So here's this whole thing saying, you know, it needs the test of reason. Don't go along with what you're handed by anybody. Test it. Does it help the greater good? Is it serving the greater good? These quotes of people like Buddha, you go, you know, where did this come from? Did he have a scribe? I don't know. But anyway, there's another point of view. Faith is much better than belief. Belief is where someone else does the thinking. Buckminster Fuller. Belief is when someone else does the thinking. Implied that faith comes from your own thinking. The flip side of that phrase. In religion and politics, people's beliefs and convictions are almost every case gotten at second hand and without examination from authorities who have not themselves examined the questions at issue, but have taken them at second hand from other non-examiners whose opinions about them were not worth the br a brass farthing. That's Mark Twain. Believe that you are the acknowledged child of God. You are not an individual life, but belong to the universal life and spirit. Your actions are the outpourings of this cosmic spirit. You are the absolute truth itself. Swami Papa Ramdas. Now these guys, if you read their biographies, really did some intense sadhana when they were young. Some intense practice stuff that's practically unheard of in the West to get to this point of view. Or Mayor Baba's, don't worry, be happy. Many people remember that? It was big at one time. Mayor Baba, don't worry, be happy. And the sadhana that he put his disciples through was make your hair stand on end if you knew it. And I think, here I'll read two different sources that say the same thing. This above all, to thine own self be true. Shakespeare. The greatest religion is to be true to your own nature. Have faith in yourselves. Swami Vivekananda. Very different sources. Kind of throwing the whole thing out the window. In the end, you're responsible for yourself, no matter what. You could say, no, the devil made me do it, but you're going to get the consequences of it. Doesn't matter who made you, who, you know, who told you to do something, you will get the consequences. So, have, have open eyes when you, um, 
when you're with a teacher. <laughs> what was that great movie? Anyway, there's two great Netflix movies that visually demonstrate what I've been talking about. They're really thought-provoking things and what people are willing to go along with in order to belong to a group, in order to have a sense of belonging to something. The, ex- the incredible extents that people are willing to look the other way. Faith is now, belief is then. Thomas Merton, faith is a light of such supreme brilliance that it dazzles the mind and darkens all its visions of other realities. But in the end, when we become used to the new light, we gain a new view of all reality, transfigured and elevated in the light itself. Not saying it's a process. And it starts out one way. It's like anything, when you get used to it, it becomes something different. You know, when you have an insight about something, it's a big deal. You're kind of altered. And after a while, you forget the insight. It just becomes integrated about how you live. My thing is, is that unanswered questions are a lot more valuable than answers. Answers are like, okay, I got it. You close the door to the room. But a question is like, you don't know where it's going to go. You don't know what can happen. And I don't like answering things because it's like closing doors. And I have my answers. And if I give my answers as the answer, it might short circuit somebody's process of finding their own answer through their own process. And I think that's very valuable. You know, I have found the things that are real and true for me, but I don't know what about, about this for other people. Okay, here's a talk, How Important is Faith, by Susan Salzberg, who's a major mindfulness teacher. In Pali, the language of the original Buddhist text, the word for faith is sada, while sometimes translated as confidence or trust. The literal meaning of sada often translates as faith, to place your heart upon. When we give our hearts over to a spiritual practice, it is a sign of faith or confidence in that practice. Faith opens us to what is beyond our usual limited self-centered concerns. In the Buddhist psychology, it is called the gateway to all good things because faith sparks our initial inspiration to practice meditation and also to sustain our ongoing efforts. The concept of faith can be difficult for some people. Faith might be associated with mindless belief, or it might imply the need to proclaim allegiance to a creed or doctrine, and then fear of being judged by oneself or others for one's degree of compliance. When we use faith in Buddhist context, it is quite different from this. From this is what I call bought faith. To place the heart upon does not at all mean rigidly believing in something and thus being defensive about opening to new ideas. It doesn't mean using that which we have faith in as a way of feeling separate from and superior to others. When we talk about sada, We are talking about a heartfelt confidence in the possibility of our own awakening. We experience faith on many levels. In a classical text entitled The Questions of King Melinda, a monk named Nagasena uses an allegory to illustrate this. A group of people gathered on the edge of a flooding stream want to go to the far shore but are afraid. They don't know what to do until one wise person comes along assesses the situation, takes a running leap, and jumps to the other side. Seeing the example of that person, the others say, yes, it can be done. Then they also jump. In this story, the near shore is our usual confused condition, and the far shore is the awakened mind. Inspired by witnessing another, we say, yes, it can be done. That is one level of faith. After we have jumped ourselves, 
when we say, yes, it can be done, that is quite another level of faith. The first instance is an example of what is called bright faith. This is a kind of faith that happens when our hearts are open by encountering somebody or something that moves us. Perhaps we are inspired by a person's qualities of love or wisdom or kindness. Whether it is someone we know or a historical figure like Buddha or another great being, bright faith is a wonderful feeling and an important beginning, but it is also unreliable. We might encounter somebody one day and someone else another day and be moved powerfully by each of them, but in opposite directions. We can get distracted by whatever influence comes into our own lives next. It sounds like many eyes. Mature faith is anchored in our own experience of the truth, centered in the deeper understanding of the nature of mind and body that we come to in meditation practice. This deeper level of faith is called verified faith, which means it is grounded in our own experience. The inspiration and confidence we feel arises from our experience rather than coming from someone outside of ourselves. It is a great turning point in our spiritual lives when we go from an intellectual appreciation of the path to a heartfelt confidence that says, yes, it is possible to awaken, I can too. A tremendous joy accompanies this confidence. When we place our hearts upon the practice, the teachings come alive. That turning point, which transforms an abstract concept of a spiritual path into our own personal path is faith which reminds me of a a line that says, happy is the man who is ignorant and happy is the man who knows and woe is to the man in between. That's a paraphrase, probably clumsy paraphrase, but, you know, some of us may be in between. How do you know?